Lace up your boots and grab your mouth guards. It's time for the Rugby Wrap, the podcast about all things Western Force and the game we love. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the Rugby Wrap. Nice to be back and it's great to have your company once again. My name's Mick Collis and joining me as always, former Wallaby Mitch Hardy. Mitch, good to see you. Nice to be back, Mickey. After living the roller coaster that is the Wallabies, um, after their series win against France, and uh, it's good after a little bit of a break to uh, freshen things up and and have a bit of a chat. And it's also a warm welcome to the mythical Heath Tessman, looking very youthful tonight. Tess, good to see you. Yeah, I shaved. I shaved this week. I know the, for you, the baby uh, face, mate. Mickey, it's which is more than mixed done for you. <laughs> but that he, he's described that roller coaster ride of the Wallabies absolutely perfectly. <laughs> ups, downs, but then you get off safe and sound, it's all good at the end of it. I was, gonna, I was, I was thinking you were going to say you get off and you feel like throwing up. <laughs> a strong no. stomach. It was all very positive. <laughs> and we will, we'll we'll have a look at the French um, series just after this. But well, as we celebrate Brisbane winning a one-horse race to host the 2032 Olympics, we thought it would be good to see where Australia was sitting in the race to host the 2027 Rugby World Cup. And the man charged with leading Australia's bid is former Wallaby captain Phil Kearns. And he joins us now. Kearns, thanks for your time on the Rugby Wrap. Michael, lovely to be here. And Mitch, good to see you. And Heath, what position did you play? My God. <laughs> he gives, you gives, hookers a bad, gives hookers a bad name, doesn't he, Kearns? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm... I'm, I'm aiming. Look, I'm looking at what I'm aiming for. I know, he's the only man pretty time, okay, Phil, Phil Kearns. All right. His, my goal used his, to be uh... just... My goal was just to have my chest sticking out further than my guts, but now I've got a better... I've got a, another goal to aim well, for I, face you, rugby. I bet you've even got those ab things that people have. Oh, oh, <laughs> There's cool. Some ribs. Bad. And still definitely in the keg stage as a front <laughs> row. No six-packs here. <laughs> uh, so, Kearns, let's get straight to it. Where are we with our bid? Uh, we're in what's called the, the dialogue phase, essentially, is what World Rugby called. Call. We've been through the initial phase. This, this is the second phase, the dialogue phase, which essentially means um, you haven't been kicked out. So right. there's still... Uh, so that's so good. <laughs> in, this, in this process, there's uh, four World Cups that are up for grab, 25 and 29 Women's World Cups and the 27 and 31 Men's World Cups. Um so this phase of dialogue really is a lot of questions and answers going back to world rugby about how the financial models stack up, um, you know, looking at the grounds, the pros and cons of the technical aspects of the grounds. Are they big enough? Do you have enough of them? All that sort of stuff. Um, we, we don't know uh, clearly who all our enemies are out there. I mean, in rugby, we're all friends, but who our um other bidders are. We we know the USA are in there. We know that uh, we know that England are very keen to host the Women's World Cup in 2025 in particular. Um, they think, and I think the world hopes that they will fill Twickenham um, with uh, with their Women's World Cup. Women's um, final, yeah. Um, they had 30,000 at a women's game a few months back. Um, so the game is booming over there and to have 70,000 in a Twickenham to watch a women's game would be amazing. So um, we're in this phase now where we're um, going through a lot of technical pieces from the financials all the way through to the, the, um, the, the grounds that, that are required to host a World Cup. And there were some rumours that the Russians were also throwing their hat in the ring. Is that, is that true? Were they sniffing around? Uh, yes. Well, I mean, those are rumours. Um, 
Now, the, the issue that the Russians had was they had the world doping ban upon them that, that um, the World Anti-Drug Agency put on them. They appealed that decision um, and they had that reduced. However, it still meant that they couldn't uh, apply to run a, an international sporting event until the end of uh, 2022, I think it is. Um, so they can't even apply to run a, an event until until the end of oh, the okay. year. They, they can't so, apply. So that sort of eliminated them. Um, we heard that Qatar were also uh, looking to, to run it as well. Um, but, you know, all, all those things are sort of un, unsubstantiated at the moment. And are we just going for the 2027? Is that the yeah. only one we're looking at? That, that's the one we want. That's really the one we want is 2027. We think it's the right timing for uh, for Australia. We, we, we need that. We've got the British Lions in 2025 coming out here, going into a World Cup in 2027 would be fantastic. And of course, the Brisbane Olympics in 2032 after that. It's a, it's a massive decade of sport for Australia. Yeah. We've got world road, road cycling races coming up. We've got um, world distance swimming championships in the next 10 years. We've got netball World Cups, FIFA Women's World Cup here, T20 Cricket World Cups here. So we've got this decade of amazing sporting events coming to Australia. And, and I think it's one of the, the great things uh, and the things that we've tried to uh, um, put an exclamation mark against in terms of our bid is that we're a reliable place to come. We're a safe place to come, not only in terms of, of health, but also in terms of we know how to run big international mm. sporting events and we know how to run it well. And if you want to bring it over here next year, we'll run it next year. We're ready to go. And uh, so Australia have a Australia have a great reputation globally uh, for that, and and that's a, a real big part of our bid. So you're you're the head of the bid, but what is what's your job been? Oh look, I'm, notionally I am. I mean, I, I, there's a terrific team that I'm part of here, and um, uh, Tom and and Anthony French, RA and Liz and and Alicia. Uh, are an amazing group of people. They've really been planning this uh, for the last three years, particularly Anthony and Liz and Alicia. They started just, well, they started before the 2019 World Cup and they got a group of people from state governments and from federal governments and who didn't know a lot about rugby and what a rugby World Cup meant for a host country. And they, uh, they took them over to Japan to show them what a World Cup means. And they were blown away. Um, just the, the mass migration of people that go to a World Cup, um, the amount of money they spend, um, the amount of time that they stay at, at the World Cups. It, it's really a, a, massive, um, a, a massive economic event. And for Australia, it'll bring over $2.5 billion to the Australian economy and uh, third largest, largest sporting event in the world. Um, and uh, it, it's something worthwhile fighting for. So, so where do where do we sit? Like, are you confident? Oh, I, I think we put a terrific bid together. I think, um, you know, the USA, uh, are, you know, they know how to hold big sporting events as well in terms of Olympic games. They've never held a Rugby World Cup before. Um, we we have, and I think. Uh, you know, safety and or, or let's say a less risky World Cup is something the world rugby needs right now because uh, the whole COVID scenario and we've got a lot of things cancelled. And Australia have really paved the way in, in being able to hold sporting events um, and even sporting competitions during 
this whole COVID pandemic. So we are a safe pair of hands and, and I think that plays well to our strengths. And as part of your bidding process, do you have to outline the grounds where the games can be held? And does that go through to where you would think the final would be? Um, yes and no. So we, we need to outline what grounds are compliant. Uh, what's, so a com for, what's a compliant ground for a World Cup? Well, uh, it varies depending, depending on the category of game. So for a, a Category C game, which are two Tier 2 nations, um, you're looking at above 15,000 for the ground. If you've got a Cat B uh, game, which is a Tier 1 and a Tier 2 nation playing against each other, it's, more, it's closer to the 30,000 mark. And a Cat A game, which is obviously a Tier 1 versus another Tier 1 nation, then, then you're looking at above that. Then there are there are requirements for the the big one. The big requirement is uh, is in terms of a World Cup final and World Rugby's uh, mandated that it needs to be a ground that holds greater than sixty thousand people. Now there are three grounds in Australia that, that can do that: one in Perth, one in Sydney, and one in Melbourne. Um, we don't get to decide that. World Rugby have a major say in that, but there are, so we've got grounds there. We're allowed to have between eight and ten grounds total for our for our bid. Um, we've put forward uh, fourteen grounds, um, and we'll work through with World Rugby what the requirements are there. There are there are requirements, you know, how big the dead ball area's got to be, how long is there, what's the distance between the sideline and the fence um, for enough people to be able to fit in that space. Um, how many corporate boxes are there? You know, how, uh, how, how much corporate hospitality can be held in the place? So there's a whole bunch of requirements that we, we have to um, adhere to. We also have to be able to pick up training venues as well. So um, there's, uh, I think from memory, 73 uh, areas across Australia, across everywhere from the Northern Territory down to Tasmania, from Western Australia uh, across to the East Coast. Um, 73 venues, not including schools, that we put forward as potential training venues for wow. teams to come to. Um, wow. And, you know, some of these teams will come in, uh, you know, a couple of weeks before the tournament. Some of them might come in a month before the tournament. And we hope that the legacy that we leave here is not only for Australian rugby, but also for Pacific rugby. So if there's a possibility for teams to um, have training camps or even lead up games in Fiji or Samoa and Tonga, certainly Northern Territory somewhere or Tasmania, we'd love them to have their training camps and have perhaps warm up games there. Um, but just make sure that the whole country um, mm. is engaged in it. Mm, that'd be great. Now, we had a question from one of our listeners, Ross, and he said, will our Rugby World Cup bid be hampered by Australian women's, by Australian women's rugby not being appreciated enough? Um, no, I mean, part of, part of the legacy that we want to leave for, for Australian rugby and, again, rugby in the Pacific um, is to empower women's rugby and to leave a legacy that that is actually strengthened. Um, you know, there's a, a big push across the, the country from all sports that um, women's change rooms, uh, for mm. just one example, of um, being able to to um, to redesign change rooms or rebuild change rooms or at least provide facilities for, for women to play more sport, not just rugby, but, you know, in terms of sharing facilities, um, it can be rugby league or, or soccer perhaps on rectangular grounds where the women can share those those sort of change rooms. So no, it's it's um, it's also about leaving a legacy for Indigenous rugby as well. In, the Indigenous are underrepresented 
uh, upper underrepresented in our representative team. So in our state teams um, and certainly in our national team, and that's something that we want to focus on quite a bit. Um, and, and of course, for, um, uh, for, for wheelchair rugby as well. So it's not just something for blokes, um, this, this World Cup. It's going to be something for the whole rugby community. And you've, you've been around rugby for a long time. It's, it's not in the greatest health at the moment. How important do you think us getting this World Cup is for the game in Australia? I think it's one of a number of critical factors. Um, Mick, certainly, the we you know we've had a successful French series. We've got the English coming out here next year. Um, then you know a couple of years after that, we've got the British Lions, and then then hopefully the Rugby World Cup. And that's a terrific pathway to rebuild our game here. Um, you know, I think uh, when I see the new leadership in our game, and I'm talking about the chairman and CEO of Australian Rugby now, Andy Marinos. Um, I, I think they're terrific people and they've got the heart of the game. Uh, or they've got the soul of the game in their heart. And uh, I see what they do and I see how they think about the grassroots of the game. And I've got to say, and I've said this to, to lots of people now, that for the first time in probably 20 years, um, I feel confident about the state of Australian Rugby and where it's heading. Um, the, the, the green shoots are there um, and, and I think over the next three to five years, I think you're going to see a big change. That's good news. Mitchell, Tess, you have any, any questions before we move on to the French? No, I think if you, if you go back all the way to 2003 World Cup, there was, there was a, a, a massive financial legacy that Rugby Australia distributed amongst the states, um, which really, you know, at the time, um, even WA Rugby was re recipient of a, a substantial amount of sum of money, which helped develop the game here. Um, and obviously that there was a finite sort of time period where that money was spent, but it certainly had a massive impact on participation and being able to establish further sort of school-based programs, support club rugby and, and put the pathways in place that underpin the force. But, um, and I think that's a great opportunity that, you know, through all the financial woes that, potentially Rugby Australia have, have experienced over the last period of time, being, having that ability to host a World Cup and leave that financial legacy so they can implement some of the things Phil's talking about around female rugby and Indigenous programs and access um, to the game for all um, would be a wonderful legacy for a World Cup. So it's not just about the tourism dollars, but it's the, um, the legacy for the game. And I think, you know, Phil, maybe just touch on the campaign that you guys are running at the moment and, and, and how do you want the, the rugby public to get behind the bid to raise, I guess, the awareness of it, but also just show the, the ground swell of support that you want out there? Yeah, I mean, we'd love everyone to go to Australia2027.rugby um, and, and subscribe there and put their, put their name down. We've had 35,000 people across the country um, subscribe to that and sign up to, to support the bid. And of those 35,000, about half of them are new to rugby and new new to um, new to Australian rugby. So it's great to see that that grassroots supports. There are lots lots of kids, um, but lots of people are just 
have, have bought into this campaign and, and want to see it here in 2027. There's so many people around this country that just remember, and, in, and not in rugby states, I've got to say, you know, in, that remember what happened in Tasmania when the game down there was chock-a-block and what happened in, in Adelaide when Australia played down there and had a world record score and the ground was packed and everyone. The, the, the feedback and the desire from those non-traditional rugby states has been fantastic. But I've got to say the support from the state and federal governments that we've had has been amazing and we continue to get that uh, get that support um, we've got a terrific group of people on our advisory board um, John Howard um, uh, Sir Rod Eddington um, Sir Peter Cosgrove uh, Elizabeth Gaines of the West Australians will be very um, well known to are on our board uh, just to name a few Gary Ella John Eels Olivia Worth from Qantas so we've got a, a terrific bunch of people that we can tap into. And, of course, very importantly, John Coates, who we know now, or we know, knows how to get games in, into our country. So yeah. I think, Mitch, what you touched on, that final financial legacy, is really critical for us. And there's a perception that that money from the last World Cup in 2003 was, was um, blown, for want of a better term. And the, uh, but I think the structure of Australian rugby's changed quite a bit since then. And the thought process um, that goes on in, at the top of Australian rugby is not to the states, here is some money and here is how you will spend it, and not, not less of a prescriptive approach. And I know that the approach that's starting uh, with some seeds in, in Sydney and we'll, we'll go around the state is what do you need in club land? What do you need, Mr. Individual Club? to help your club grow. And different clubs have different issues. And it's not always money that solves those problems. And, um, you know, Rugby Australia is listening, which, which is um, really wonderful to see. And so what's what's the next step, Kernsey, in the bidding process? Yeah, so the, the next step is this dialogue phase goes through uh, until November. Um, we were supposed to do a formal presentation and actually World Rugby... Um, uh, representatives are supposed to come out to Australia to inspect our grounds and to um, look at what we're doing. I'm not sure how that's going to happen. Uh, uh, have Zoom. Uh, so, Another Zoom meeting. Yeah, there'll be, I think there's going to be virtual tours of stadiums. Um, but, you know, it, there is a, is a real great respect of Australia globally for, for what we do around sport and, and for what we do in our stadia. And, and you guys know better than anyone in, in Perth that, you know, to, to we, without that ground that you've got now, you, you probably wouldn't be getting the big games. No, but not at all. With that, that sort of stadia that you've got there attracts big events. It, it, you, you just put the Bledisloe Cup, last year put you guys on the map in terms of global sporting events and uh, it's wonderful to see so uh, there's some real competition in this country at the moment but it's healthy competition because we're going to hold a great event. Yeah, fantastic well good luck with that Kernsey and mate, keep us posted but we'll move on, we've just seen a very enjoyable three match series between the Wallabies and France, the Wallabies retaining the Trophy D Bicentenaries uh, it couldn't have been much closer. Are you Phil French? That was as good as I can get with my French. What, <laughs> oui, what, oui. what were your thoughts, Kernsey, on the on the series? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I I, I thought the rugby were, was terrific. Um, the French side have obviously got some amazing talent and some mm. amazing size. I mean, some of the blokes in that French team yeah, massive, enormous. 
Um, I can't remember his name. The number 12, I thought, was unbelievably impressive for France. Um, the size of him and the way he got over the ball was, was amazing. Um, but I, I thought uh, they, were, they were a terrific side and we know they weren't at full strength. Um, yeah, there's probably half of that team that will be um, that will be in the starting side for for the top strength French team. So they weren't that far away, and you know we we quite within our whites. We had a few that were missing as well. Um, you know, without James O'Connor, without Nick White, and a bunch of others. Um, so I, I was really enthused. A couple of players in particular stood out to me. Um, I th- thought certainly all of our props were uh, fantastic and to have four props that can go up and battle and sometimes dominate um, the French scrum, which is always one of the best scrums in the world, I think is fantastic for Australian rugby. The way Darcy Swain came through and played in that last test, I thought was was just fantastic. Um, so I think there was some some really good performances there. What I, what I like from the Australian side is we've had 15 to 20 years of playing very prescriptive, manufactured, fabricated, paint colour by numbers rugby, which I hate. And the terms that you hear all the time is shape and process and and this... System. Rubbish. Don't forget system. System. Oh, my God, I hate it. Um <laughs> And, and I could see that the Wallabies were trying to steer away from that. And there are guys trying to get their arms free in tackles. And the thing, particularly in the second test, um, there were guys that were uh, performing by memory and going into that rope shape and heading back out where chase the ball. We're always taught chase the ball, chase the ball. And, and you could see in that third test, there were guys running off the shoulder and taking some short passes or looking to take those short passes and really um, reading the game rather than just reading some sort of script that you're supposed to be doing. Mm. The French mm. didn't play off any script, let me tell you. Um, mm. And it was wonderful to watch. And traditionally, we've never played off any script. Um, but it's something that's crept into Australian rugby over the last 15 to 20 years, which drives me nuts. Um, so the more we can get away from that, the better. And I just saw signs that that was happening. Yeah, I think you're right. I found it really enjoyable because it, it was off script. Like the French, generally, that's just the way they play, but we responded. And it was, if I, if you're a, a person just switching on the TV and thinking, what's this? It was the sort of game that would keep you watching. Yeah, and I, I, the thing that really heartened me, I've, I've spoken to probably half a dozen people uh, since the test finishes finished and said that they sat up with their son who'd never seen a game of rugby before, and this is one of the advantages of being on free-to-air, um, that that it is accessible for, for more mm. people. We had you know over a million people watching that third test. Yeah. And people said to me, I was sitting there with my son, he'd never seen a game of rugby before. You know, the son was saying to him, what's this mean, Dad? Why are they doing that? Which is great for the kid to be asking. But the kid was passionate. The kids were passionate um, about uh, about Australia winning and and also passionate. They wanted one of those Wallaby jerseys. So mm-hmm. hitting the old man up for a hundred bucks, <laughs> uh, which was great for the coffers of Australian rugby. Yeah, very much. And, and Mitch, your, your thoughts on it? Yeah, look, I, I, I enjoyed the test series, Mickey. I thought um, the first test, uh, obviously Marika Corabetti had an absolute cracker in that first test. He was outstanding. He was great. And, and he really did 
um, show a great deal of maturity about a senior Wallaby player trying to show the way. Um, and and the French were really plucky in that first test as well. I mean, they should they should have won it. Let's face it. But but um, our set piece I thought was a lot better than I expected it to be. Our line out in particular uh, was good in all three tests. I thought um, you know the front row certainly did the job across the test series. Um, the backs I think they just lacked a bit a little bit of combination at times, um, and you could probably expect that. Uh, Jake Gordon, you know the the old box kick was probably the only sort of you know, thorn in my side that we probably overplayed that um, a lot in the three tests that you could probably chop off the, the guy's feet there and we weren't using it effectively. So, but I mean, that's that's sort of drilling into the technicalities of it. The second test, I think the, the French thoroughly deserved to win. Um, certainly their centres. I think Dante was the guy you, you're thinking about, Kernsey, the big the one, unit, yeah. number 12. He was very good, as was the back rower, um, the young... Yeah, big number seven. He played, sort of yeah. switched and swapped between seven and eight for the French was really good. But the the highlights for me for was when they got to that third test and young blokes like Darcy Swain really stepped up. I thought he was my man of the match for that third test. I thought he was really, really good. Issy Nasarani um, played a lot better than I thought he would. He was he was pretty good. Michael Hooper, I think, was outstanding as usual, mm. but it's just just connecting, just connecting with the guys around him. They just got a run off him a bit more. The amount of opportunities he created in those games. But he seemed to be, at times, our number one ball-running option so so much of the time. And I think, you know, as their their game and their structure evolves under Dave Rennie and Scotty Wisemantle, they need to look at that because the All Blacks will be targeting him. They'll see him come around the corner or stand out there as a receiver and they're going to shut him down. So what's where does our game evolve from here so that we really are stepping up to the next level? So... There was a few times there where I go and stop passing it to Hooper. You know, we're just too, we're just telegraphing the, the way they were playing the game. But um, certainly some Someone encouraging signs. done an x-ray or whatever it is and measured Hooper's heart. He's I just... know. How much work does he get through? He was carrying, oh then breakdowning, then making tackles. And you go and give the bloke a break, give someone else a carry. You know, he might be a bit more effective. He was very good. But, um, you know, I felt sorry for poor young Tom Wright. I, you know, he probably had a test series, you know, and, and it's never never good to see someone probably get dropped from the team, but um, he had an outstanding super rugby season and we, he thoroughly deserved his test jumper. Um, and, and he, you know, when little things like, you know, not scoring that try that he muffed up and a couple other little errors, you think oh, running geez. into touch, running yeah. into touch. Cringeworthy Kills stuff me. for, for Kills a me when you're in player. good film position. But um, even Hunter Pasami, I reckon he underplayed. I, I think he turned over a lot of ball and he can do better. Um, not saying that he played badly, but if we start to, um, I, th- I think there's a lot of positives they can take out of that into this um, uh, rugby championship series. And, and Tess, and one of the controversies was was Tupo. Do you start him or do you finish him? Oh, yeah, I've always been firm on this belief, and and Kearns, he touched on it before. We've got we've got two world class tight heads, like, and that's that's a great thing to be able to have. And it's it's the older days, like who do you want coming off the uh, off the bench in that fiftieth minute mark? Who's going to make the impact? And for me, I think Tupo's the guy that is going to make that big impact. And I think maybe that's what Dave Rennie tried with Tupo was that good and had that much of an impact in that first test and changed it. He thought, well, I need to start him here, and he maybe didn't have the same effect that he did in the first one coming off the bench. And that's why they maybe reverted. They swung the other way around for that final test with Alatoa getting the start and then and Tupac coming on and having his big impact again. Because you can get him out there just before, you know, they start rolling off. Because nowadays it's not like when 
when you were playing Phil and you had, you had to stay out there for 80 minutes, there's yeah. bloody a whole extra front row ready to wheel out <laughs> to keep the game speed up. So they get him out there and he can attack those tired front rowers and get a good 10, 15 minutes of a good 10, 15 minute period where he can swing the, the, uh, the favor of the referee in our way at scrum time rapidly as well. And he makes a big impact on that back half of the game. Well, he actually, he actually has an impact on how the opposition pick their side also. Um, you know, if you can see so many times that as soon as uh, someone bring, as soon as we bring Tupo on, the opposition change their front row mm. as well. And so it forces them to make some decisions. You know, do we start our best loose head um, scrummager in the first half or do we wait till Tupac comes on and put him in the second half? And it, it forces them to think about their own game and, and he has people worried. Um, or do you, do you put your second string loose head on, um, in, you know, bring them on in the second half? And either way, Tupo is either against your second string loose head or up against a tied loose head, which you can demolish either one of them either way. So it's a really great weapon they have to bring on. And what about the, the battle of the halfbacks? Mitch is, oh. is the only back in the, <clears throat> in the quadrant. <laughs> <laughs> Hookers get which close battle, to Which battle are we talking though? Are we talking the battle between our Wallabies nines or? Yeah, the Wallabies uh, nines. Opposition ones. No, the Wallabies well, nines. Well, they, they, well, I think it all comes down to the game strategy that Dave Rennie and the, the team want to execute. So if they want to, if they want a, a contestable game through box kicks and in structure, then I think Jake Gordon's the man. If they want to challenge um, the defensive line and and work a game that's going to be at speed with ball in hand, I think you've got to go with Tate McDermott. What I was disappointed about I, in those earlier tests when Jake was starting, I would have loved to seen Tate McDermott on the field earlier. Um, I think putting him on for 15 or 20 minutes to go, he can't have that impact on really having that, an effect on the speed of the game. He needs at least 30 minutes um, on the field. I know it's a bit of a gamble where, in case someone gets injured, but um, if you're going to have him on the bench, he's got to be there for purpose and you've got to allow him enough time to impact the game from a half side of things. So um, I'd probably start with Tate and keep keep going with that and play be playing ball in hand because if you turn over too much ball to the blacks, you're going to get punished. Uh, especially if you if you don't have a good kicking game, and it would be remiss of us not Nick to talk White about back as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, who do you so, who do you get rid of? Who do you get you rid know, of? You can't you can't win a World Cup without a world class nine and ten. Um, you know, Aaron Smith and Dan Carter, Aaron Smith and Bodie Barrett, Mwanga, Barrett. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, you know, yeah. Then, then you know, you, you look at even what the you know when the Poms or the South Africans have won World Cups have had. It, it, we've all Far Jones and Liner together, Griggan and Larkham together. You got to have world class nine and ten. And um, um, you know, we've got competent players there at the moment. We don't have world class players, um, and we we need to find them. And that's a really you know, can the guys work hard enough and get to that level? Yeah, they can. They can. Um, but it takes a lot of work, and uh, yeah. that, that's where our probably our biggest weakness is at the moment. I'd also love to see some of our big locks come back from overseas. If you're partnering Darcy Swain, uh, Tess, if you're par- partnering him with, with a Coleman or a, um, a Rory Arnold, Arnold. then, mm-hmm. wow, you've you, you got a forward pack there. That's true. Yeah. Of, yeah. Of, of, the ni- of those 9-10 combos that we've got at the moment, Phil, 
Are there, are there any two that you think has the most potential to become a world-class 9-10 combination for the next World Cup? Well, Tate's the youngest. Um, he's got the most potential, isn't he? So you'd have to say he's got the most potential. He, he's been pretty gutsy in saying, you know, in terms of his his passing and his kicking game, he needs to work on. And, and yeah, he does. Um, but, you know, George Gregan worked on his passing and his kicking game as well. All the great players do. Aaron Smith worked on his passing and kicking game. Mm. But but it's clear that his passing was off on occasion. You saw the pass that he threw to Lolasio for that drop goal. It was over the top of his head. Um, you just got to get those things right. But but Tate's young enough to get those things right. Um, so, uh, you know, I think the other guys are good players. But in terms of potential to be a world-class number nine, it's got to be him because he's the youngest. He's got more time to do it. And, and it would be remiss of us not to talk about the red card. <laughs> Was it justified? Obviously, he got off. So it, it wasn't. Well, there's your, an- there's your answer. <laughs> so, so Just, yeah, how... how um, the worst know, card decision since Karebi. There you go. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. Absolute woeful. And you know what? I've been, I've been watching the New Zealand Fiji series as well, Mick, on the, on the same days as those. Those games were refereed really well. Um, there, was a, there was a lot of 50-50 shots or high, uh, tackles um, that you probably could examine under a microscope and call either here or there, but they played and managed the game really well. Um, the referees when New Zealand was playing Fiji and we all know that Fijians put on some big shots, mm. um, but you, you can't, you can't nitpick something like that. That was just woefully handled and you got four officials or professionals or, or meant to be at international level completely balls it up and it's just not acceptable. And um, who's so what's the reaction of the player that was hit, the nah, French captain? Yeah. His reaction, they should have started uh, laughing at him. He yeah. should have got the red card. No, nothing. They should have said they should have just moved straight on. If there was the slightest bit of high shot, penalizing ball means, and they just move on. And yeah, you're on with you, Phil. That guy should have been given a warning. Say any more of that, and you'll be you'll be having a break. Young and, and as, as much as I love that Wallaby's. As much as I love that Wallaby's win, my favourite photo of the night was Lucan's uh, Lucan's Tui shaking hands with the French captain after the game, and just patting his cheek just to make sure it was all okay. <laughs> just, yeah, are you sure? Yeah, just having a little inspection for him. Because whose call? Whose call was it? It wasn't the ref's call, was it? Didn't didn't he get notified to go back and look at it? I, I thought yeah. he'd let, he'd let it go. So everyone's blaming yeah. the ref, but sure, didn't it come from no, it's one all of the four? Few. All, all four officials are responsible for that, Mickey. All four. One of those officials could have easily said, you know what, I reckon he ducked into that, which it was clear he did. Um, and oh, I'm not sure it hit him on the head because his head bounced forward. That's why there was head contact. He, he shouldered it in his head. I mean, everyone sitting in their home, in their lounge room, could see that that was the case. Um, it, it was, And the, it even got better when, when it goes to the judiciary. There are three Kiwis... Uh, adjudicating on a Kiwi ref. Seriously? (laughs) (laughs) And when the the guy's next match is against the Kiwi team, against the All Blacks as well. (laughs) Oh, that's a funny game. And was that a a case where, like, World Rugby haven't adopted the 20-minute red card? Is that the prime case where it should be replaceable after 20 minutes? I think so. I I think there's a lot of merit in the 20-minute rule. When we saw it... 
during Super Rugby Trans Tasman, when it's when it's when you cop the early a red card in that first half period in particular, it has a less of an impact on the outcome. Um, but so early in the match, that could have had a massive impact on the outcome of that match on the weekend. Um, well, I, I even think you know you can go to what rugby league do, and and you know when it when there's a put them call, on a report fifty fifty mm. put them on a report. It's a fifty fifty call. We're not really sure. Put them on report. Mm. Play the game, and away we go. Yeah, I yeah. agree. That, that 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 would be very worthy of exploring further. I reckon, Phil, um, bringing in that in-game reporting for the well, the siding commission can can look at whatever he likes after the game. Anyway, anyone yeah. can yeah. decide it. And in a strange twist, did the fact that we had only fourteen players for seventy-five minutes of that match and come through a tight game and win, did that actually do the Wallabies a favour because the the fans? It was it was it gave them a chance to put in a gutsy performance, which which is what we've been wanting, and did that actually galvanise the rugby support because of what happened? Absolutely, yeah, Absolutely. I would say yes. Yeah, and I and I think actually it worked to a, to a degree against the French because they you know almost as soon as Corabetti got sent off, they scored a try and kicked a goal straight afterwards, and then I think they went beauty game yeah. over. We got, got this it. up. And yep. uh, and not that they stopped playing, they didn't because there, there's still some brilliant tries that they scored. That one in the second half. Um, oh, they, yeah, they played some, some beautiful rugby. Some beautiful rugby they they, they played. Um, but yeah, I think in a number of ways it, it sort of helped us. But I, I wouldn't like to play without Marika too often. He, he no. is. I mean, Mitch, you must watch, love watching him play as a winger. Yeah, but he's getting better and better because he's he's starting to understand that the work that he's doing off the ball has got a major impact on the performance of the team. So if if any young winger could take anything from his game, it's watch how much work he does off the ball, you know, and where, how he puts himself in a position to be always in the game. Mm. That's yeah. that's your, your, your optimum performance. That's, you know, if you think back to the Joe Roth days, yeah, probably not as com- combative physically, Roffy, but he always put himself in a position where he's always in the game and was able to read the game in a way that he's always involved. And that's why he was so good. So, yeah, I think Marika, he just brings that physical element to it as well on, on top of that. And whoever thought we'd have the words physical and winger in the same sentence? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, Katie, looking ahead, Wallabies against the All Blacks, Eden Park, August 7. Are we any chance? Uh, yeah, I, I, of course we're a chance. I, I, I think... Uh, I'm not sure if we're getting any players back from overseas. If we are, I think, you know, I talked about the locks before. I think that's that'll, that'll be an interesting one to, um, if we can get someone in there, that'll be really helpful for us. Um, I, I like the physicality again of uh, Lockie Swinton. And, you know, as long as he stays on the field, he he, that, he does a terrific job for us. Um, so that physicality of the forward pack, when you add Taniela Tupo in there, um, yeah, I, I think is is really strong. You see, Nicerani and Valentini are both hard ball runners and mm. both quite physical. So I think that physicality of the forward pack is 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 improving. Um, and Hooper's always a threat, whatever he does. Um, I, I, I think the back line still needs some work to just get their combinations right. Um, you know, I don't think, and Mitch knows this better than I do, but I don't think the back three is the right combination at the moment. The only one that you guarantee is Marika to, to have a spot. Um, I, I do like some of the play that Reese Hodge does, and Reese is even a, a potential 10, but I'm assuming that James O'Connor will be back at 10 by then. 
Um, and who, who knows who's coming back from injury. So I, I think you'll see a slightly different Wallaby lineup um, and potentially a stronger Wallaby lineup going in up against the All Blacks. Yeah, well, it's uh, exciting times, and there's a real genuine buzz around rugby in Australia, which is great. Now, mate, before we let you go, um, for the listeners who don't know, your daughter Tilly currently in Toko with the Australian women's water polo team. So it's obviously a very exciting time for the family. Question for you: Do you get more nervous watching your daughter play a test or preparing for one yourself? <laughs> absolutely, watching her play a test. Um, really, <laughs> um, absolutely. Full of nerves watching watching her play, um, which I love. She she as you know, Mick, she's in one of the more physical positions uh, as a centre forward in there, and you know, seeing her get bashed by three other <laughs> women who are trying to drown her at a particular time <laughs> is is uh, you know, as a protective dad, you want to jump in the pool and help her <laughs> out. Um, but I've learned she's um, big enough and strong enough to look after herself. It's an amazing time, very emotional time for us to for, for her to make that team. Um, and I know your beloved Shaz will be over there watching and commentating and, uh, and Tilly's always taking great heart from Shaz. So um, it is a, an amazing time for the family. They had a warm-up game or warm-up half a game against China today. Um, I think they went reasonably well. She hasn't told us what the result was, but she she told us she thought she went well. Um, so um, yeah, let's hope there's there's a medal coming our way in water polo. But regardless if it's a medal or not, we're very proud of it. Yeah, no, as as are we also. Please give her our best, mate. Look, we always appreciate catching up with you. Good luck with the rest of the bid and uh, enjoy the rest of the season. And thanks for your time on the rugby wrap. Absolute pleasure. And don't forget Australia twenty twenty seven dot rugby. Everyone out there, get on it. Perfect. Will do. Good on you, Kearnsey. Good Thanks, on you, Phil. Thanks, Thanks mate. Soon. Cheerio. Soon. All the best. So that was Phil Kearns, the former Wallaby captain and the current head of the Rugby World Cup bid. And um, and good to see it. Good to see that that's that's all going ahead. And and he looks pretty. He sounds pretty positive about rugby in Australia, which is great. Yeah, and they got the they got the right model and they got the right people around them. So, um, and you know you. You should be leveraging off the back that that 2032 Olympics in Brisbane and mm. Australia's, you know, regardless of our vaccination rates, hopefully our vaccination rates will be well through the roof by 2027. 2027. Let's hope so. We can sort it out by then and we'll be the safest place in the world once again. Well, Sydney will probably I mean, I was, still be shut. I was already sold. I was here. I was already sold on it, but as soon as you told me John Howard was in that group, oh, I can't no, wait to good. see us win the, win the bid for it and John Howard walk up on stage in that old Wallabies track seat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do the strut, shake the hand. Oh. Ah, fantastic. No, it's all very exciting. So we move into the mailbag and the international season in full swing. The Lions versus the Springboks test on Saturday and the Rugby Village and the Generous Squire, which is the James Squire Brewhouse at 397 Murray Street, Perth, have got that game on there at 9pm. So if you're looking for some company to watch the Lions against the box, uh, that James Squire Brewhouse, 397 Murray Street, Perth, is the place to go. And one of the worst kept secrets in Australian rugby was Darren Coleman has signed as the Waratahs coach and they've been um, signing some youngsters. So they've got three junior Wallabies, Tian Takapulu, Adrian Brown and Langi Gleeson. They've all signed long-term deals. Uh, they've also confirmed the re-signing of Lalakai Fakedi until the end of 22. And Alex Newsom and Mark Nakawaka has also re-signed with the club. 
So, um, so the Waratahs Commons sort of um, seems to be, or the players have responded pretty positively to that news. Yeah, I think the key for Darren Coleman signing Mickey is that he'll have all the Sydney clubs right behind him. Mm. Um, he's, you know, he's spent plenty of time coaching the Shoot Shield. He's got good network of people there. Um, he's got a really good reputation for picking the right players to to do the job. Um, so I've got no doubt that he's probably going to be a very positive signing for the Waratahs. And obviously the um, the girls winning the Super W titles is the other bit of good news for New South Wales rugby. Um, they, they only get good news fairly every, only every now and then these days. <laughs> it's been a pretty lean year for them. But to, to get the Super W title and then sign Darren Coleman as Waratahs coach, um, there would have been a few smiles down at uh, Moore Park, no doubt. And interesting that with... Um, for Keddie, he's only signed until the end of next year. And there was a quote, he said, I love playing at the Waratahs and deciding to extend my time here for another season was an easy decision. If you're loving it that much, wouldn't you go more than one year? I'm not sure. I think that press release might have been written by someone, Mick, of your talents, like a media media person of some yeah. note <laughs> in New South Wales rugby. Some punter. Yeah, stock standard response. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and then, and who, who's making the office for the amount of time as well? Because was it was just this week that um, Angus Scott Young and and um, Liam Wright, who's and Liam Wright, you know, they've announced how much, how how great and how valuable they are to the Red System. Both fifty cap players have been extended an extra year. As One well. year, like so. What's going on? <laughs> Everyone's keeping their powder dry, Mick. Yeah, hedging <laughs> their not bets, over, not over committing. No, not at all. And then also on the on the re-signing, Jesse Mogg, Brumby number 143. He's back after six years in France. He signed a two-year deal. And he'll be nearly 35 when he's wrapped up. So I think he might have asked for the extension. That, chance, there's a chance for you, Mick, to... Mitch, that's, to... that surprised me, that one. Any, anyway, that just goes to show this. You know, he, he was never a bad player when he did play Super Rugby and he did his did his thing and he obviously done it right overseas. But that was a, that's a bit of a strange signing. And then some good news for the women. The Wallaroos, Wallaroos have announced a tour to New Zealand. So the O'Reilly Cup is up for grabs. They're playing uh, New Zealand, the Ferns, on the 26th of September in Christchurch. And then on the 2nd of October at Eden Park. So that's um, terrific for them after they had the Women's World Cup called off. Not sure if they have a coach yet. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the former coaches resigned after it was alleged that they used unacceptable language when describing match officials, refereeing decisions and general play in an audio recording of the game, which was then uploaded to the team's analysis portal. So I haven't heard of, of any new coaches that have been assigned for the women at this stage, but um, they'd probably want to get onto it, given that game's only a couple of months away. I'm sure they'll I'm just have happy you in... brought that up, not me. <laughs> I'm sure they have a plan in place and I'm, I'm sure... Um the previous coaches, the Wallaroos will move on. Yes. The bigger and, and better this, things. In the sevens, for speaking about the Olympics, uh, the men's, uh, they begin on Monday and uh, play Monday and Tuesday in Tokyo. They've got Argentina at 11.30 and then South Korea at 7pm on Monday before an 11.30am date with New Zealand on the Tuesday. And then Australia, the reigning Olympic gold medalists, they've got Pool C alongside the host nation, Japan, Olympic debutants, China, and also the USA. So it's a, um, again, not a bad pool, but that USA game will be the key one for the Australian you, women. You don't know what the Chinese will dish up either. No, that's they, true. They, yeah, yeah, you're right. They, and, could, yeah, they, and, could and, send their, they could send their basketball team out to play against. <laughs> it'll be six foot eight. You just don't know. And even, even Japan, um, 
you just never know. They could they could turn it on. Oh, no, Japan rugby's been growing. Yep. You just don't know. I don't I think the girls won't be taking anything for granted and they just seem to be I don't know. With, with the tri- those Oceana matches that I, I saw the other month, they just seem to be a bit more well drilled outfit and have more potential to improve. Mm. Whereas I think the men's will be lucky to get out of the pool stages. Yeah, and it's interesting. The same. It's the same with the water polo. Just talking to Kearnsey, it's the same. The women are probably the medal chance, and the men, I don't think, will get through the pool. They've got a really tough pool as well. So it's uh, interesting that the the women's are so strong in a number of sports in Australia. Soccer is another example where the women yep. are, are so much stronger. Um, another thing I saw, Rugby Australia, they've confirmed plans to launch a new Australian rugby museum. They've got some support from Private Enterprise, the venue's TBA, but I think that'll be good. Hopefully it'll be accessible and not too pricey for the punters because uh, there are some good rugby museums around the world. It'd be great to have one here in Australia. It'd be nice yeah, if it was in Perth. I don't know where it'll be. <laughs> well, hope, yeah, well, hopefully it's located somewhere where it's, you know, near a stadium or something like that where people can get easy access mm. to it and, you know, it can be a little bit more of a draw card for tourism and, and punters that want to see the history of the game. I, I think there'd be plenty of punters out there prepared to donate items to the museum as well. And it's uh, oh, be great. Far, far better off being available to the public than sitting in the uh, behind glass doors in uh, St. Leonard's. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then in the I don't believe it stakes, there was an online poll set up. It was attributed to Rugby Australia chairman Hamish McLennan. And he said he was chatting to Andy Marinos. And they're thinking about changing Rugby Australia, the name, back to the ARU. And they want to know what the fans think of think about it. Now, surely there are more important things to spend money on than going. That was changed in 2017 from, and I think they spent about 400 grand rebranding everything. So, are they seriously looking at doing that again? Surely not. I'm I'm just hoping the digital media, uh, the new kid that's you know doing the digital media work or something. I think maybe they've just got made a mistake. I've got an idea. We can put this up. This is going to be great. This is going to get you more exposure. On Instagram, we'll put it on Twitter. We'll put it over here. Jeez, geez, I hope that. Uh, geez, I hope that wasn't the former Rugby WA media person that's gone to the ARU that, that suggested that. Because I was, if that's actually true, that's just extraordinary. Heath Tessman's called for a paper bag. He's hyperventilating at the, at the moment. Ah, oh, oh, Tessman. What just Tessman. happened? Good to have you back. Then in Clubland, in Clubland, so South Australia, because I think 13 million Australians are locked down at the moment. South Australia's competition, that's been postponed. Mitch, the shoot shield on hold at the moment? Yeah, on hold until further notice. Uh, be revised, uh, well, at least suspended until the 30th of July. So it's obviously not gone ahead for the last couple of weeks and not likely to go ahead for the next two weekends. So that's uh, disappointing for community sport in general across Sydney, but um, yeah. So, yeah, there'd be a whole bunch of rugby players twiddling their thumbs at the moment around Sydney. And any theories? I saw something about one of the, the Manly coach uh, had talked about doing a, a four-week semi-final. All, all teams are in a semi-final. They basically play a four-week competition, depending if they've got time at the end to try and get a like result. Playoffs. Like basically, a playoff. yeah. Yeah, I think they'll have to come up with some sort of playoff system, like, a, 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 like a top eight. I mean, yeah, you'd, you'd like to think you'd put a line through the bottom half of the table and just go, right, we'll do a play. Top half, top half playoff of some description. Mm. Try and bash it's it through. Just a preview for the shoot shield, isn't it? Just a preview for the shoot shield next year. What the- that all the teams in? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is too. And Pen- Tess- Penrith, Penrith are there going. Oh, thank God for that. Yep. <laughs> we don't have to play first. <laughs> At Test Brisbane, that's all Brisbane's going still, ahead. Brisbane's still been going strong. Yeah, I think it's the final round 
Might two. be this weekend, actually. Or was it yeah. two to go? Two to go. But, um, and, e- and even better news up there, and I'm not sure if it's the same, if it would be the same in the Shoot Shield, but one local um, shoot uh, Queensland Premier game being broadcast on 9 Gem up in Queensland every oh, really? week now as on well. Free to so wear. On the on the free to wear as well. So last weekend, Norths, it was the um, the Battle of the Points. Norths played Souths. And Norths came away with the first uh, first game on free-to-air on GEM for a wow. Queensland Premier Rugby game. That's great. So it was pretty exciting. They must be loving Souths because I think they've got UQ have got the game this weekend against Souths as well. On the TV game. On the TV game, yeah. yeah it's so great. it's pretty know, exciting for um, for them over there. Because I know Stan, Stan have been very happy with the response they've got to club rugby, which is, which is terrific. So that's obviously going to encourage them to keep doing it because the fans are getting right behind it. So it's terrific. Actually, I'll correct myself. It's UQ are playing Jeeps this weekend, not Souths. And have you got a ladder test? Do you have a ladder for Queensland at, at I short sh- notice? I should. I U- should. UQ, I just, no. UQ first, no everyone UQ else second. Daylight. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I should point out the East Tigers have won four or five straight. They're coming. After their, and after their horror start. Yeah, after their horror start. They're, they're a smoky to make the four now. The West, West of apps are the chokers of the comp. They've gone from third to fourth, the fifth. And can, can they're sitting in fifth right now with East bundle hot out. on their tail, a couple of points behind. Um, UQ Jeeps Brothers Bond are your top four, so it's one versus two this weekend on GEM over there in Queensland, which is going to be exciting. And sorry, when I were talking about another state's rugby competition a lot, but grand finals we played at Suncorp as well, so that's pretty wow. a big event for uh, for Queensland Premier Rugby too. That's great, really good. And Mitch in Perth. Yeah, right, Mick. So it's all happening. Off the back of the uh, the Western Force going around against Bay of Plenty last week, there's a few club players selected uh, to participate in that game. The uh, first round of matches is now completed, so 14 rounds, and uh, the competition now splits into two. So we've got the top six and the bottom eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so the premier, the premier competition, um, UWA first on the ladder, uh, five points clear of Midlands. So... Uh, UWA, they've had some standout players this year. Conor O'Sullivan has He's been very good. backed up his PG Hampshire performance from last year and is absolutely carving up. He's a regular um, try scorer every week and a real handful for teams. Um, Caleb Young, the um, the hero from last year's Cottesloe win in the grand final who came across to UWA this year. He's missed the last couple of rounds, but is expected back for these next five weeks. He's been a prolific point scorer again this year, and he's going to play a key role for um, for Uni's charge to the finals. But, and, uh, just, Uni- and, Mitch, and by all reports yep. too, that like, so Caleb and I think another uh, one of the guys came across from Cot, and they've had a really good influence apparently on the, the Uni blaze because they just they just get in and they do the hard work. They don't complain. They just get the job done, and that's rubbing off on, on some of those other players. So that, that was a great pickup for Uni. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's given them depth in the club as well. So um, there's a young winner there called uh, Byron Sharwood, who was rewarded with a bit of game time off the Western Force bench last week. He's He's been really good. He is a good young player, 20, 21 years of age. Um, and he's he's really having a standout season. And, and of course, Rory O'Sullivan and Brennan Vorst of the Haas for UBA have been really good as well. And even, even a bloke like Jack Bromley, who is still a young bloke, playing lock was goal kicker on the weekend and, and slotting them over from everywhere. Um, uh, and a big shout out to Tim Wallace, who was injured with a neck injury on the weekend against Wanneroo, but he's, he's all good and no serious injuries there. Oh, so good. they'll come up. So they'll come up against Cottesloe. Um, 
So Cot uh, currently sitting fourth on the ladder, uh, 10 points behind Uni. Um, Cottesloe, Cohen Masson has been a, a, a real handful for them again this year, the back rower. Um, one of their key players will be Al Haining in the centres leading into the charge to the finals. Um, Al's an experienced centre. He's always um, good on attack and very solid in defence. They've been a little bit hit and miss this year, Cottesloe, but um, they're starting to, to be a little bit more consistent with their performance. Um, and this weekend, they'll take on Uni down at Cot. Uh, so it should be a cracking game. Mm. Um, the other games, Nedlands. I'll leave Nedlands for you, Heath. Do you want to give us a bit of a wrap-up how the boys are travelling there? Take yourself off mute. Yeah, I'll take myself go. off mute. And I, I, was, I was waiting for Mitch Hardy to start talking about giving Heath Tessman a bit of a wrap. The Nedlands he hasn't out. been playing. He hasn't been playing. They haven't needed him. Save him for the finals. Uh, I've been playing Go, the last mate. couple of weeks, but I just haven't really made too much of a difference. I think, <laughs> we just go off the stats that we get given, and it's been a lot of zeros next to Heath. A lot of zeros. Yeah. You, you just assume that I mustn't have been playing. <laughs> Your team won by 59 points you have against Coastal Cavaliers, and you're not even on the score sheet. Yeah, I didn't play that game. That was uh, just, the, just the big ones at the UWA, the Pally games, the ones that we've been losing, unfortunately. <laughs> Players but, to watch, um, while we're talking, well, a couple of our young boys as well got their debuts for um, for the Western Force on Friday night. The young hooker down there, Nick Hyde, uh, Zantana Pomari as well. He's a young, he, how, and this is brilliant as well, bounces between second row and front row. So he's playing second row for the Force on, on Friday night, up into the tight head position for, for a few minutes on Saturday as well, which is pretty exciting. He's a big, young, uh, physical kid who's, He's, you know, he's finding his spot. He's an ex-league player, so he's finding his spot and where he, where his best position is in rugby. So it's pretty exciting. Is he um, any relation? To, is he any relation to Trillane, the um, WA, the women's captain? Um, no idea. Could, yeah. could I haven't well had be. that conversation with him yet. Sorry, hmm. could be, could definitely be. Um, and as well, young Fino Callahan got the um, got the call in. Young, young outside back for us too. He got, he had a little had a little dab around. I think he got ten minutes there at the end as well against Bay of Plenty, which is pretty exciting for the young young boy coming through the system over here. And that was great. I thought that was great that they gave a lot of those young guys a, a bit of a run against that Bay of Plenty. Great experience for them. Yeah. Yep. And you could you you could see like it it, it lights a fire for any. They were Absolutely. so excited the next yeah. day. But still, all, all of them backed up. Nick backed up and played 80 minutes of rugby the next day. And I'm, I'm not sure how many minutes he got on the Friday for the force. But regardless of that, he backed up and played the full 80. And the other guys came off the bench. Um, and it was, yeah, it was good to see how pumped they were after the night before as well. That's Leading great. into this this weekend, we've got um, we've got a game against West Scarves, which will be a good one. It was tough. We managed to get the Chockeys over them probably about four or five weeks ago now. Um but is it and home, it, home it or away? Absolute, we're at home this time, down at the yep. foreshore. Yep. So I'm sure it'll be um, the field will be in tip-top condition. No mud. It won't be nice and <laughs> nice dry pitch to run around on. Might be even even our backs will be wearing the twenty ones. <laughs> but it'll be it'll be an awesome game. I'm pretty excited because last time we we managed to get two quick tries over them right at the beginning of the game, and that. But that uh, once that after that first ten minute period it settled down, it was an arm wrestle. And if we didn't get those early points. I think they would have come close to getting over the top of us. So they'll definitely be keen to get one back with uh, young Isaac Mio as well, who is one of the uh, the back rows down there. He played for the force on Friday against Bay, uh, Bay of Plenty as well. So it's going to be an absolutely cracking game for um for us against against West Scarbs. Yeah, the, the, 
yeah, James Petrick, I think, is really good for Nettie's, and Justin Zeitzman's been in pretty good form for him. And um, Nathan Roberts. Of course, is, you look at the backs. The club <laughs> stalwart. Nathan Roberts, the club stalwart, I think, celebrated his 150th first grade game or something like that, not that long Nato, ago. Nato played his 200th, he 200. played his 200th grade game as well. No, yeah. So, not just first grade game, his 200th grade game on the um, weekend as well. And I think for the, like, he still probably looks after himself better than anyone else in the group. He goes um, well. He's, he's got such a good mature head on him. And the thing is, he, um, he's he been working FIFO for probably the last decade. He could have four or 500 games. He could have, yeah. he could have 300 first grade games if he'd yeah, been yeah. here the whole time. It's amazing to think of. And West, West have been going, going all right too, Mickey. There's a young bloke called Liam Clues who plays lock uh, for West Scarborough. And he's only a young bloke too. He's, he's only 20, 21 years of age. And he is a standout young forward. Um, so when we start talking about young blokes getting rewards, I'd love to see that bloke um, get recognised by the Western Force Academy and be, be potentially um, looked after long term because he he is one of the standout young 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 forwards in the competition this year. They've also got uh, Kanoa Gudgeon, who's um, come over from rugby league, who's been playing the centres and on the wing for West, and he's been um, really lighting things up out wide. Um, they've been missing Walter Kateka a little bit with the kicking. Um, so, and they've been a little bit hit and miss with their attack. They've, you know, turned over a lot of ball. They, they've got no problems making breaks, West, but they just lack that finesse. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, come this these last few weeks, they're going to have to really polish up, especially against Netties. Uh, and the remaining top six fixture is Pally versus Kala. Kala only snuck in by the skin of their teeth. Um, and they've been a little bit over the all over the place the last six weeks or so. They've Probably their standout player is a big lock, Hanari Hukama. If I pronounce that incorrectly, apologies, but he's been their standout. And there's a young fullback there whose name escapes me, who's also one to watch. He's only a young fella. Um, they've got a lot of young Colts in the Kalamunda lineup, but um, unfortunately their form has been a little bit hit and miss. Pally, on the other hand, have got a good good lineup. Late and short in the midfield is probably their standout that all of their uh, play revolves around. Their forward pack's nothing special. They just do a solid job. Um, Jackson Pugh will probably be running around there, the Western Force Academy player. Uh, but there's, there's certainly will be interesting tussle between those two. Uh, I can't see either of those two contesting for the top four spot, but they'll certainly figure in the um, the second division semifinals when the top when the bottom eight work out their their system. So how, how does the top six work? So they all play off now for the next five weeks. Everyone has five so the, games. Uh, so they play each other. Yep. Okay. Yep. In the bottom eight, they have five rounds. And then the top two teams of the bottom eight will play against the bottom two teams of the top six in the second division semis. Yeah. And then obviously the top four then go on to the Premier League. Okay. Finals. Gotcha. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, good. That's a good system. Um, well, I think that about does us. I think that's been a, a good comeback episode. Plenty to, plenty to talk about. Plenty covered. Yeah, it was good, Mick. Well done. So, Mitch, good to see you. Beautiful. Thanks for that. A couple of weeks off. All, for, all yeah. refreshed and ready to go. All refreshed. Well, you, Heath Tessman, are looking so refreshed. I wish we had the video of this because it's it's extraordinary. Even for, to have Phil Kearns commenting on how good your face looks, that's it doesn't get and much he, better. He's the best looking hooker that's he ever the lived best. as well. Exactly. So I'm, I'm excited about you that. You should be very chuffed about that. Go and tell your and, wife. And Mick, are you, <laughs> counting, are you counting the days down before the big book release? Yep. So 27th of... Um, so near next Tuesday, 27th of July, the new book comes out. It's called Australia's Toughest Sports People. And I thought, just my luck, it's um, the first time. So it's in a bookshop 
from the 27th, but there are 12 million people in lockdown that can't actually go to a bookshop <laughs> to, to get the damn thing. Can you so, download it on Amazon that, or Kindle or whatever it is? I think I think so. You can if you just Google Australia's toughest sports people, you can you can pre-order it now. But obviously in Perth, you can get out to your local Dimmicks or Collins or Big W or Target or anywhere where they're selling good books. And um, it's so not a bad still route. time for my interview as well. Then Mish. yeah, absolutely. Chapter 13 of the New Testament. Is yeah. that why you're here? <laughs> Don't you worry about that. So I'll stick out some info up about that on Twitter and, and Facebook. Perfect for Father's Day. What a great Father's Day gift that'll be. Get everyone out of trouble. Tess, always a pleasure to see you. Awesome, boys. Miss you. Uh, good luck on the weekend. We might even pop down and watch that one. And thanks for everyone. For... It, it'll, all, it'll, all, it'll all depend on whether it's raining at cot. If it's yeah. raining at cot, I'll go to Nettie's. If it's not raining, I'll go to cot. True. Yep. <laughs> good point. So thanks for everyone if for it's listening. Raining, I might go down to cot. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for everyone for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Rugby Wrap.